Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Hey, look at Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. Do you really believe that our Heavenly Father always, always, always seeks to comfort us? Do you believe that? In the midst of difficulties, trials, circumstances that are way over our heads, still under his feet, do you believe that our Heavenly Father always seeks to comfort us? That word comfort means to encourage, it means to strengthen, it means to come alongside. And it's a beautiful picture of the heart of our Father who loves us. Several things this morning. First of all, there's the encouragement of the word. And this word encouragement I could have used as comfort. Paul uses the word comfort in this passage several times. It can be translated comfort. It can be translated as exhortation. But it means encouragement, to come alongside, to help. The encouragement of the word, the encouragement of Christian brothers. And I would add in that, obviously, sisters, the family of God. The encouragement of truth and the encouragement of life. I like what Greg said, and it's neat how the Holy Spirit orchestrates services, because I had it on my mind. You know, Paul, uh, as far as we know, did not have any biological kids children. But we know that he was a spiritual father. And fathers, let me just wish you a happy Father's Day. And then men, let me challenge you that each and every one of us have the opportunity to be a spiritual father. All of us have the opportunity to disciple, mentor, come alongside younger men to encourage them, strengthen them, share with them the testimonies of our lives and what we've been through and the faithfulness of God. Paul was one who did that all the time. And we're going to see that in this passage. If you remember, they've been in Ephesus and there's been a huge drama. (laughs) And they met at the theater to have it. And... Great as Artemis, right? That's what they're shouting for two hours. The whole thing gets out of hand. Finally, one of the uh, leaders of the city, probably equivalent to our mayor, stands up, tells them to settle down. They're dismissed. And this is where we kind of pick up that story in chapter 12. He says, after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And when he had exhorted them, there's your word, mark it, underline it, star it. He was comforting them, encouraging them. When he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through these or those districts and had given them much exhortation, again, the same idea, comfort, encouragement, star it, mark it. If you have NIV today, if you have New King James Version, if you have some other version than the New American Standard, you may have... Uh, this worded a little bit differently, and actually I think it's preferable. With many words. And the idea is that he exhorted them with many messages. Messages. It wasn't just that he was talking a lot. It's that he was sharing with them the word of God. 
And he did it with many messages. He wasn't just exhorting them, coming alongside and putting his arm around their shoulder and saying, come on, you can do it. He was coming alongside of them and sharing with them what the word of God has to say. And he did it in many different messages or many different words. He comes to Greece. And there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Well, it's an interesting thing. The word exhortation means to come alongside, encourage. You've heard it, perhaps the Greek word paraclete, right? The comforter. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete or the comforter, the helper. In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, John writes that he is the helper. He is the spirit of truth. He's the one that comes alongside of us. He's the one that the Father has sent to us in order to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He comforts us. He guides us. He directs us. He's the spirit of truth. He's never in error. So he comes alongside and he's exhorting them and he does so with many words, many messages. And on his third missionary journey, he's now leaving Ephesus. He exhorts these disciples. He encourages them, strengthens them, comes alongside of them with the word of God in order to encourage them. And he moves on to Greece. The area of Greece, as we know it, is a Kia in that day and time. And really, when you see that he's talking about Greece or you're talking about that region, a Kia, you're talking about the city of Corinth. He goes on to the city of Corinth. And when you talk about Macedonia, we're really talking about the key city within that particular region, which is Philippi. So Paul is moving from one place to the next. He's on his third missionary journey, and he leaves Ephesus. He goes through Macedonia, and he goes on to Greece, the city of Corinth. He finds out that there's a plot against him by the Jews. Nothing new. (laughs) He's gone through this many times. And rather than setting sail for Syria, which would have been Antioch, which is where the Christians were, where the mission uh, movement really began. Jerusalem was the hub uh, of the center of all the apostles, and then it moved out to Antioch, and from Antioch it moved into the entire world. Antioch, where many Gentiles were there. So the church was established there. Paul wanted to get back there. But he finds out that there's a plot against him, and so instead he retraces his steps on land back through Macedonia, revisiting the churches all over again. I think that's kind of funny. I mean, it'd be really amazing to have Paul come to your church, wouldn't it? I'd sit down. (laughs) Paul'd stand up and with many messages, (laughs) he would encourage and he'd strengthen. And when he left, we'd all be like, oh, Paul, we love you. We love you. Back to normal. And about two months later, here comes Paul again. (laughs) I'd sit down and Paul would get up and with many messages. Be amazing, wouldn't it? And if there was anything going on in the church that shouldn't have been, I can guarantee you Paul would have taken care of it, right? (laughs) Funny. Well, what was he doing during his time? I think it's interesting. You know, you you look at people and you watch what they do and you, you listen to what they're saying. And there's this story behind the story because Acts is a historical novel. It's a, not a novel, it's a historical account. And, and it's very clear that he's, Luke is writing this in order to walk through 
the early church and what God did in and through the apostles. We went from Peter, shifted on now to Paul, and the remainder of the, the book is really about Paul. But in the background, there's some things taking place as Paul is traveling. Paul isn't just going from one city to the next and, and going to the synagogue anymore. This is the third missionary journey. He, he's been to these places. He's helped plant these churches and he's encouraging them. You may have seen uh, on the compass and on some of the signs, this third missionary journey was about protecting from the wolves. Because he wants to go back to these churches and make sure that they understand the grace of God and how to walk in it. They've come to know Christ, they've received the Lord Jesus Christ by grace, and now he wants to make sure that nobody comes in and in some way, shape, or form gets them off track from the grace of God. That as they have received the Lord, now they are to walk in it. How did we receive the Lord? By grace through faith. How do we walk in the Lord? By grace through faith. It's not a work. It's not something we can accomplish. God begins in and through us to do his work. He changes us internally and the love of Christ begins to be seen through us in all the different various ways. Our attitudes and our actions are changed. The unity of the church is absolutely essential in this. How we treat one another says everything concerning our relationship with the Lord. If we're not treating one another right, if we're not active in following the Lord, and if we don't see certain things taking place in our lives, uh, individually and corporately, we don't come up with a better plan to do it more. We go back to the heartbeat of what it all is and to the fountain from which all those attitudes and activities flow. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's constantly wanting them to understand this. When we talk about how he exhorted them and with many messages, what are the messages that he's giving to them? What is he saying to them? We don't know absolutely, but we do know the story uh, behind the story. There's two things that are taking place during this particular missionary journey that I think are absolutely essential to understand with, with regard to Paul's mindset, what he's saying. The first is the writing of Scripture. The Lord is using him to write Scripture. We know that it's not from Paul. Peter makes that clear. It's led by the Holy Spirit, moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing this. When he's in Achaia, in the city of Corinth, he writes the book of Romans. Probably the greatest treatise on our salvation in the entire word of God. So that's on his mind. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What it means to walk by faith. How we are saved and then how we walk as a result. As believers. It's also during this time that he's in Macedonia, the city of Philippi, that he writes 2 Corinthians. And so that's on his mind. That's in the background. Now, what's fascinating about this is in both of these letters, you can hear the message of the comfort of God coming out. The exhortation, the encouragement, the strengthening of the Father to us. Look over at Romans chapter 15, verses 22 and following. And as you're turning there, you're going to see this in this passage very clearly. The second thing that's on Paul's mind is the raising of a love offering to help the impoverished Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So you have the writing of Scripture, their encouragement uh, to walk in unity, to walk in love for one another. 
the comfort that comes from God. But in the midst of that, you have on Paul's mind, very prevalent, the raising of funds from the Gentile churches to go to Jerusalem for the saints in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers. Those two things. Look at Romans 15, 22 and following. He says, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. He hadn't at this point been to Rome yet. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia, Philippi, and Achaia, Corinth, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they were indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So he's writing scripture, though the Holy Spirit is empowering him, leading him in that, and he's encouraging them, strengthening them, comforting them, but he's also talking to them about their financial gift to the saints in Jerusalem. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and following, you'll see this too. And really, 2 Corinthians brings this point home in a way that's pretty remarkable. If you took the time and you looked at chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, many times we go to this passage because the word comfort in those few short uh, verses is used 10 times. You think Paul has a point here? Right? The comfort of God. The comfort of God. He comforts us. And in turn, we get to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with. Comfort, 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 comfort. It's on his mind. The encouragement of the Holy Spirit. What set apart the church, I would suggest to you, is the coming and the filling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, where the Spirit of God has come to indwell the people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, Paul is constantly bringing that theme to bear. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. God himself has come to live within your life to encourage you, to strengthen you, to help you, to encourage you. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6, he says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, I would suggest it's grace ability here. They gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. What is he talking about? The raising of funds to support the saints in Jerusalem. So in the midst of this third missionary journey, as he's traveling from Corinth back into Philippi now and on, ultimately home, the home base, What's on his mind? It's the word of God. It's the grace of God. It's making sure that believers are walking according to what they've been called to in the strength of the Lord, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, not out of their own strength, which utterly defeats the message of the gospel of grace, 
but rather in God's strength. And the second thing is this whole financial gift. He was very concerned about the unity of the church, this schism that could have taken place between the Gentiles and the Jews. And he wanted to make sure that the Gentiles who were indebted spiritually to the Jews were supporting their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem and doing it not just with words, but doing it with a financial gift to come alongside and support them. Because he knew, number one, that it would help with the unity of the body of Christ. It would help preserve it. And secondly, it would be a testimony to the world of what God can do. Beautiful. He was constantly encouraging them with the word of God. Well, there's also the encouragement of Christian brothers. If you look at verse 4, and I dare you to pronounce all these names absolutely correctly. And I won't give you a mic to do it. Verse 4, he says he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea. You know one thing, and just as a side note, I want you to know this, okay? When you watch pastors... And I know you watch us. What I've learned to do is I know you don't have a clue. You don't know how to say these names. So I say them with boldness. And then I know you're going, oh, that's how you say it. (laughs) Come on, y'all can laugh. I don't know if this is how you say this or not. I didn't grow up in their culture, okay? This is how I say it. My daughter will probably correct me. Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, that's an easy one, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed seven days. Now you get the picture, right? They go down into Corinth. There's a threat against him. So he goes back up all the way around the horn. He goes back towards Philippi and he ends up in Troas. And he's got a group of men with him. And they go on ahead. Probably in order to prepare wherever he was going to stay to make sure there was lodging. These men were probably with Paul because of the money that had been raised from all these different churches that was now being taken back to Jerusalem. Takes them some time to get there. They stay there when they do arrive for seven days. Here's what I want you to catch about these men. Every one of these men listed are from a targeted area that Paul has been through either in his first or his second or now even uh, Ephesus in his third missionary journey. The number seven can't be ignored here. It is a number of completion. And the idea is that every one of these men as brothers in Christ along with Paul have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry, the service of the great apostle. And they are now representing the different regions along with the different missionary journeys that Paul has been on and how God has worked through the apostle Paul in all these regions. These men are representative of the work that Paul has been engaged in for quite some time. And they're going to Jerusalem with a gift 
Catch that. They're going to Jerusalem with the money that has been raised in order to bless the Jewish saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, and to let them know, thank you. Because it's through you that we have our Savior. Folks, I don't even know how to put that into words. Oh, for a day where our churches would be unified where we would walk in the beauty of what God has done, where we would sing our songs with all of our heart, that we would realize what God has done for us is so above and beyond the petty things that we get all messed up in. When will we lay stuff down and move on in the greatness of the gospel of God's grace and his love, our heavenly Father who is coming alongside of us to root for us, to encourage us and to strengthen us. Even as we saw this man with his father come alongside, we walk with a limp, but in Christ we can do all things. Folks, I believe we're in a day where the things that really don't matter are going to get sifted. They're going to get sifted. Folks, we've got a lot of things that I believe, unfortunately, and to the glory of God, we're going to walk through. And the question is, are we going to allow the pettiness of some of these arguments that we have between brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's right here, whether it's church to church, Are we going to allow that to separate us and divide us? Or are we going to walk as brothers and sisters in Christ, arm in arm to the glory of God? That's the issue. And look at this picture given to us. I want you to know that I'm thankful for the pastors we have. I really am. Greg and David and Eric and Jason and Chris Brannon. By the way, Chris... Chris is uh, traveling right now. His mom is about to pass away. And then Lois's mom is about to pass away. So they're visiting both of them. Jason's in Romania right now with my daughter and many of the Romania team, many of the kids. But when we talk about brothers, we're talking about a group of men that can come alongside and strengthen. None of us have all the answers. I thank the Lord that he does. And we get to follow him. We get to walk with him. We get to experience life together with the Lord. There's a strength to that. There's a preciousness to that. Folks, as the body of Christ, when we talk about who we are in Christ and we talk about what God's done for us, are are we in a relationship and fellowship with the Lord first and foremost and then one another in such a way that we can walk through life together encouraged and strengthened by one another because that's exactly what's taking place here Romans 15 5 and again this is what Paul wrote during this time he says may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement there's your word there's the word exhortation or the word comfort the God who gives perseverance the ability to bear up under every circumstance and encouragement Grant you, be given to you, to be of the same mind with one accord, with one another, according to Christ Jesus. Think about that. Where where does unity come from? It comes from the Lord. 
Where does perseverance and encouragement come from? It comes from the Lord. How do we tap into that? We yield to the Lord. We lay aside the things that don't matter. We weigh the eternal and the temporal, and we recognize what's most important, and we choose to say yes to Christ in the midst of it because of what he's done for us. Well, there's the encouragement of the word and Christian brothers, but also of truth. In verse 7, he says, On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until, wait for it, midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. Wow. (laughs) What if I prolong my message to midnight? I had to say it. Some of you are so worried that I'm five minutes over. I get worried that you're worried that I'm five minutes over. (laughs) I get it. I get hungry too. I think it's neat because here they were literally preparing to have a meal together. He's not talking about communion at this point. In Acts chapter 2, and it talks about the church gathering and they were breaking bread with one another. In that context, they were talking about communion. Here, he's not talking about that. He literally is talking about having a meal together. They were sitting down. They were fellowshipping with one another. I think the picture of light here is important as well. It's also the upper room. Don't miss those little keys that Luke puts in there. Here's a a group of Gentiles coming together with a great apostle, a Jewish apostle, Paul, who's been called to the Gentiles, and they're all in the upper room together, and there's many lights. You catch that picture, right? In the midst of a dark society that is lost and without hope, without Christ, there's light, and light is truth because the Lord Jesus Christ is truth and his message, his gospel is truth. We're called children of light. When we begin to yield to the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ begins to be seen in and through us, we are seen as children of light. Psalm 119, 105, you know this well, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my what? Path, my way. The word of God, truth, what's Paul doing? He's preaching to them. He's talking to them. And they're so hungry and thirsty for the word of God. And he's so ready to give it that they prolong the time all the way to midnight. I like what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. He says, the decadent, meaning the immoral, Periods and eras in the history of the church have always been those periods when preaching has declined. Man. And I would suggest that what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones here is not talking about so much of the preaching we see today. What he's talking about is the exposition and the sharing forth of what does the word of God say. When that is diminished, neglected, put to the side, there's a spiritual 
impact. There's a weakness in the body of Christ. So he was encouraging them. Lastly, there's the encouragement of life. Verse 9, we get an interesting moment here. There was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. And they took away the boy alive and were greatly exhorted, encouraged, comforted. Same exact word that was used earlier. Same word that's used in 2 Corinthians over and over and over again. Same word that's used in Romans where Paul talks about how God gives perseverance and encouragement. Eutychus was probably a young man of about 10 to 14 years old. There's two different words used with regard to him. Theologians, historians believe that he's probably in that range. He had probably worked all day because, as you know, back then... Sunday wasn't a day off, so to speak. He may have been working all day, and so he was tired, legitimately so. I think it's interesting because with as many lamps as there were in the room, some have wondered, well, maybe the room got warm because they had oil lamps, no air conditioning. Obviously, he was over by the window probably trying to get some air. It has the idea here that he sank into a deep sleep. It didn't just happen quickly. (laughs) I've watched some of you do this. (laughs) It's the idea of that head jerking moment where all of a sudden you find that your eyes are closed and you didn't know it. And over a period of moments where people behind you are starting to laugh, suddenly you're out, right? And that's the picture. He was sitting by the window. It was probably hot and stuffy up there. Paul went longer. He had maybe worked all day. He was exhausted. He's a younger man. He's sitting at that windowsill. And over a period of time, sleep finally overcame him. And he falls out of the window. Paul rushes down and throws himself on this young man. And God uses Paul to raise him from the dead. The picture is a lot like Elijah or Elisha, some of the guys in the Old Testament that would do this when they raised people from the dead, they would throw themselves on people. The Lord obviously used Paul. He did a tremendous miracle. Luke, the physician, is there. So as a physician, he recognizes this guy's dead. He's able to pronounce him as dead officially. So this is a genuine miracle of resurrection. I think it's funny what Spurgeon said, and it's a warning to all of us, especially those of you who have the nods. He says, remember, said Spurgeon, if we go to sleep during the sermon and die, there are no apostles to restore us. (laughs) Spurgeon must have been some piece of work, huh? What what a hilarious. (laughs) So let that be a warning. I think it's kind of neat because don't miss this. Eutychus, I believe, in all the spiritualization. We've got to be careful about doing that with the word of God. But why does Luke include this? And I think it may very well be that Eutychus is a picture of the church falling asleep, needing to be 
resuscitated? Have we fallen asleep? In the midst of the teaching of the word of God, Paul, as he goes longer, as these men who are representative of all the work that uh, the Lord did through the apostle Paul in these different regions, taking light into dark, dark, dark areas. This man falls asleep and gratefully with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord raises him again from the dead. Folks, I'm reminded of the warnings over and over and over to the churches in Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Have we fallen asleep? I think we need to wake up. We have some challenging days ahead, folks. I'm not a gloom guy. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what happens to this country, no matter what happens in this world, is the victor. He's already won the victory. Praise God. I'm not worried about that. What my concern about as a shepherd, as a pastor, is do we know the times that we're in? Do the people of God understand what we're about to go through, what we're going through? And are we all in? Are we yielded and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and willing to be used by him in whatever way he chooses? Or are we so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good? Wake up. Wake up. Three things that I want to leave you with. What was Paul constantly encouraging them with? Contextually, certainly from the story, I think there's three things that are very much in the forefront. And the first is their giving. Their giving. There's no question about this. It was a specific gift to be given to the Jewish believers in their plight. But he was encouraging them in their giving. Romans 15, 22 and following, you can see that. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6, you can see that. Folks, how are we doing in our giving? How are we doing in our giving? Are we giving according to the grace of God or are we giving just according to some numerical device that we are satisfied ourselves with that we've done what we need to do? Now, if the shoe fits, wear it. If you're giving according to what God has led you to do, praise the Lord. And many of you do, and I thank God for you. But that is a question that comes into this. The question is, are we building up our treasure here on this earth, or are we building up treasure in heaven? How are we doing in our giving? See, giving, just like with any other fruit, any other consequence, is a symptom of the cause. And if there's no giving, and by the way, in the New Testament, it's not about a number. You can be giving 10%, and you can be sinning doing it, because God wants you to give 90%. Giving according to the New Testament is sacrificial giving, grace giving. 
It's giving where you don't know what it's going to look like when you've given it. But with joy as you follow the Lord in it. Not man. Follow the Lord in it. You say, Lord, it's all yours anyway. And if you're leading me to do this, I do it with joy. Because of what you've done for me. Paul was encouraging them about their giving. There's no doubt about that. Secondly, he was encouraging them about their unity. And there's no question in my mind about that. The whole picture of the the Gentile church and the Jewish church and the need for the Gentiles to come alongside in a very tangible way to support their brothers and sisters in Christ is something that was clearly on Paul's mind all the time. How are we doing with our unity? Because, folks, if there are factions, if there's divisions amongst us, it's just a sign that our hearts are not yielded to Christ. It's just a a, a symptom of a deeper problem, which is a heart relationship with the Lord. And we need to get that one taken care of. Because it's only when we're rightly related to the Lord that we'll ever be rightly related with one another or church to church. Only when we're rightly related with Christ are we even going to be able to have the strength and the power and the the sensitivity, the wisdom to recognize what God's calling us to and how he's calling us to lay certain things down, the things that aren't as important, and to walk with God in it, to preserve the unity that we already have. And lastly, he encouraged them in grace. We're going to look at this over the next couple weeks. But in this very passage where he's talking to the Ephesian elders in verses 24 and 32, he talks about the gospel of grace. He talks about the word of grace, which is able to build them up. It's only through the grace of, of God that we're able to grow, that we're able to be strengthened and nourished. When we begin to try to do it in our own strength and in our own effort, when we go back to a performance base, then Paul tells the Galatian believers, you've been severed from grace. It's not that you've lost your salvation. It's just that you've lost the power of God in you in order to transform you, to renew your minds. He encouraged them. In grace. Those three things. Giving. Where's your heart? Unity. Where are you in your relationships? And grace. Are you walking by the sufficiency of Christ and growing in him so that he through you can produce the fruit? Where are you at this Father's Day on that? Men? Where are you at? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.